All right, man. So you're going to hear some Pearl Jam, some Alive Tonight. Yeah. No, that is so fucking obvious. I would never pick that. What? Yeah. Just because the song's called Alive and the movie's called Alive, that is way too fucking obvious. Ooh, ah, ooh, I'm still alive. I'm not fucking playing it. No. Uh, uh, no. Uh, I'm not fucking uh, doing it. Uh, Oddly uh, enough, you sing better than him. I'm, I'm still alive. <laughs> still not fucking playing that song, goddammit. Well, what song are you going to do? I don't know. I'll think of something. All right. I'll just pick it on the fly. Okay. Well, fuck it. We'll do it live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Fuck F- it. Okay, fuck it. No, no. You, I'll you, play it. You you, you play it. I'll play and it. And that's fuck it. We'll do it live. Exactly. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. How bad are you that Eddie Vedder's the only one left? <laughs> <laughs> of all of the singers from that era? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of sucks. <laughs> God damn. The Beef has something that they do called Why Not Stan Lee. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever somebody they love that's famous dies, like they're like, why couldn't Stan Lee go? Jesus. I think I'm going to have to start doing one for Eddie Vedder. Oh, my God. So anytime a musician dies, why not? Why not Eddie, Eddie Vedder? Oh, God. <laughs> why not Eddie Vedder? I'm still alive. Can we start the goddamn show? Okay. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears. Right about now. Garbage people. Cinema Psyops. My personal view is that it's nauseating, disgusting, degrading, ghastly, stupid, cruelly and pyramistic, and generally nauseating. They are unbelievably nauseating. They are the antithesis of humankind. I regard them as disgusting, nasty, horrible, without any kind of merit. I just do not believe that any allegedly cultural activity which strikes at the roots of culture is to be applauded. They represent nothing, to my mind, enduring, decent, or worthwhile. I just do not believe that they contribute anything worthwhile to inflict themselves upon society at large. I would like to see somebody to Cinema PsyOps. I am feeling a bit under the weather because goddamn can that Jimmy Stewart fucking party. Also looking worse for wear and wishing that I didn't have his headphones up so loud in the studio with me is Matt. That man drinks a lot. Yeah. Did he just drink that much back then or is he special? I honestly don't know, but Jesus Christ, I that mean, man can party. He may be a sucker and bitch, but his liver is <laughs> fucking all man. You just can't accept the fact that you got your ass beat by Jimmy Stewart. He's a suckering, punching little twig bitch. <laughs> yeah, well, you do a really good job of blocking every punch thrown your way with your face. I was so drunk, I couldn't move. Whatever. He beat your ass while you were sober, too. I didn't even feel that shit. Yeah. Speaking of things I mean, that- say what you want. The guy's nice enough to get you loaded before he beats the shit out of you. <laughs> 
<laughs> sure, that's what he was doing. He was beating the shit out of you once you were loaded. Fuck. <laughs> you don't remember all the stuff that you did, like where you guys actually went back in time and started following women around? We did that? <laughs> yeah, he talked you into it. God damn it, dude. You really got to keep me away from the time machine when I'm fucking hammered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my head fucking hurts. You know what? We're going we're gonna to have to... Uh, I don't know what to do about this. Maybe we man. should go flying. <laughs> no, that definitely will not help me feel any better. <laughs> uh, we're, we're dead smack in the middle of Nope-vember. And, to, and my liver's Nope-vembering right now. Yeah, definitely. And tonight we're going to be talking about my fear of flying. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good times had by all. Yeah, so we're actually going to do a twofer. We're going to talk about the terror at 20,000 feet from the Twilight Zone because we had to get some Shatner up in here. There's a man <laughs> on the wing. Don't you understand? Your Shatner's not too horrible. No. Yeah, it's kind of okay. Yeah. Although all of your long, really drawn out pauses are going to get ripped out by my truncate silence. Yeah, you can't do that. I That's, can do you, that. that. I mean, it's done automatically. What if we ever have Shatner on the show? When you edit the show, you can do it however the fuck you I want. I mean, what if you ever have Shatner as a guest? It's like he's going to show up on this show without being paid a shitload of money. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Even if we can impersonate him and pretend like we picked him up through time. I love Shatner, but motherfucker loves that money, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's because he never really had any. <laughs> so there is that. Okay, so it's aerophobia. Aerophobia. Yeah. Although that means a fear of drafts or fresh air. Hmm. Aerosol. Yeah, I'm not sure what the term was. I'm trying to look it up, but uh, the fear of flying is definitely a very real thing for me. It's a very real thing for a lot of people yeah. in the world. I can handle being in a plane. Mm -hmm. I can handle the flying. But the minute the turbulence hits, I start flashing to the crash. Like, I'm terrified terrified yeah. i'm gonna be in a plane crash i'm not that's my irrational fear so it's not specific flying it's yeah the crash is gonna happen and i'm gonna for, be in it for me it's not the flying it's the beginning and the end <laughs> taking off and landing suck ass yeah those are the most terrifying parts because that's usually where the accidents do happen yes whenever a plane crashes mm -hmm. thanks mr phillips yeah right <laughs> well at least he fucking you know was able Wait, is it is if no phillips it. was the I always get my fucking Tom Hanks characters confused. Yeah, no, that that you're thinking of the guy Captain from Captain uh, Phillips. Yeah, he was a boatman. Well, and the, yeah, Captain. But even uh, the other guy who uh, was uh, the airplane was he Sully. 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 He at least landed that motherfucker. Yeah, in water. In water. Everyone was alive. <laughs in, <laughs> in a river. Yeah, as far as we know, anyway. I still remember God. And I can't if I could look, could look it up on YouTube. But there was one time. It was a lot of years ago. There was a plane landing at an airstrip, and it landed in a gulf of flames. Like apparently, I don't think like the the landing wheel, the the landing gears opened up, but people survived like walked out of there without a scratch really in weird ways like if three <laughs> of them were on the news and i remember yeah. watching the news and i was god maybe like in middle school or something i was yeah. uh, you know i was maybe even early teens and i remember just watching the news and, and, and watching these people on good morning america well, i was like well now what are you going to do and one person goes well unfortunately i have to get back on a plane to go home <laughs> Right. And he's like, that's the last thing I ever want to do again is get on another goddamn plane. But to get home, he had to go on a fucking plane. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, dude. Right? Yeah. You yeah. walk out of a fiery crash and the next thing you got to do is hop on another jet. Well, I know that the likelihood of it happening is super rare. You're more, you. you're more in a chance of getting a car wreck. Right. And yet I'm less scared about being in a car. Yeah. Even with your drunk ass driving. It just feels like you have more control in a car, especially if you're the one driving. Yeah. In a plane, there are only two guys who have any control over 
what's going on. And they barely have control over it. <laughs> and they're just sitting there, though, and a fucking winging a prayer themselves. Yeah, if uh, you don't know how magnets work with your juggalo self over there, you're even more <laughs> confused about how planes work. I know, right? <laughs> the fuck's altitude? I don't mind turbulence midair. It, that still doesn't get to me. Uh, but when landing, I somewhat will have a conversation with God. <laughs> and it typically goes something like this. If you get me through this one, X <laughs> yeah, no, no, will no. happen. It's never that. It's usually, hey, I know we haven't talked in a while. Sorry about that. <laughs> if I see you real soon, just remember I tried. <laughs> My personal favorite prayer that I've ever seen in a movie or TV or anything was a Hunter S. Thompson one from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Lord, you better watch over me, otherwise you're going to have me on your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should be the next conversation. You don't want me anywhere near you more than I want to be near you right now, so... <laughs> Yeah, and I don't get that comfort. All I have is fear and, yeah. and statistics to try and keep my brain from. I've gotten to the point now where I've done so much studying that I literally pick the spot on the plane that has the high, highest survivability in a crash. What is that? Because don't they say like actually first class, while it's supposed to feel special as shit, you, you have a lower probability of surviving in first class? It's actually usually the tail because yeah. most plane crashes, statistically, you have a higher survivability rate in the back of the plane. Yeah. So I always go to the back. Of the That's plane. why you always get them in the back. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Here. All right. Well, instead of, you know, going through the, the list of fears for why I don't like flying and why yep. I have a fear of crashing in an airplane, why don't we talk about airplanes about to crash? Yes. <laughs> Up first, we're going to do terror at 20,000 feet. And then after that, we're going to talk about alive. But first, we're going to take a little break. Yes. Play a promo for another podcast. We will have a little bit of music. And when we come back, we will have Matt doing the review of a 24 minute TV show like he's accomplishing something. I did a thing! Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies? Meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fried prostitute. But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Okay, since we don't have a trailer for a TV show, I thought that would work best. That's fine. <laughs> it's the greatest fucking intro but to any TV show ever. It is. <laughs> 
Anyway, so we begin with people boarding a plane, including a very nervous looking Captain Kirk. It's William Shatner. It's Shatner, but it's Kirk. Before he was ever Kirk. It was before he's Kirk. Yes, yeah. exactly. He was in several episodes of uh, The Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, he was in two of my favorites, and this happens to be one of them. And it's very funny. He and his wife, this is just the difference of times. They pick their own seats in the plane. So no assigned seats. They yeah. They pick their own row. And they can smoke. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get there. Okay, uh, sorry, she asked sorry. if she, if he wants. Uh, if she wants, if she wants him to sit uh, by the window, and he, you know, pauses for a minute and says, "No," you can tell he's very off-put by being on this plane. Um, he notices then, while in the middle of talking to her, that he's at the emergency window seat. It's not so much the emergency exit as it is known today. It's more of an emergency window. Yeah, you pull a hatch and then yeah. out you go. Yes, over the wing of the plane. Yeah, uh, which will contain a man. And once again, yeah, <laughs> everybody knows this story. We're yeah, not I mean, spoiling anything. There's a man on the wing of this plane. Out there, on the wing of the plane. But the things that everybody thinks about, like the guy screaming, there's a man on the yeah. wing of this plane, that wasn't him. That was Lithgow doing that. was that. Lithgow who did that. Yeah, so yeah. when people talk about the TV show version, uh-huh. they scream and it's like, no. No, that's, that's not. From the movie that's with Lithgow. Lithgow. There's a man on the plane. Of course, I don't think Lithgow's capable of delivering dialogue where he's not yelling. Yes. <laughs> and profusely sweating. And looking that's very, like, very psychotic. Yes, all the time. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he nurses uh, once again that he's at the emergency window seat uh, and she once again asks if they want to change. She said, no, no, no. It's not the seat. It's the plane. He then starts taking out some cigarettes. The model, not the make. Yeah, well, no, it's not the seat. It's not where I sit. It's the plane itself. He starts to have a cigarette, but it's no smoking. At least, you know, until they're up in the air, apparently. The good old days. Yeah. I would love to fucking smoke. That was like the late 70s, well, the 60s and 70s, and then even up until the early 80s. There's actually footage of uh, well, even I the think the Ramones when they're touring and yeah. Dee having a cigarette on the plane. Some and some planes, I think, even to the late '80s, because I remember uh, God, I think it was a, a, one of the Police Academy movies where they were going to Miami and they're all on a plane and this that guy's would be number six. I think so. The guy's yeah. smoking a cigar. No, no, five is Mission to Miami. Yeah, and the guy's smoking a cigar on on the plane. Yeah, and you know, Hooks keeps asking him to put it out, put it out, and then she sprays him with a fire, fire extinguisher. Yeah. Does the hooks voice? Yes. So I mean, but I, back then, I, I'm assuming you could smoke on certain flights. So on a scale of one to two, messant, how hard does it get when she actually does the hooks mean voice? Well, it's 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 it's, it's like rock hard. <laughs> I mean, that's enough for me. You love a lady yelling at you. I really do. do. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably talk to somebody about that. <laughs> yeah, like your wife. Mm, well, she yells enough, man. That's why we've been married for so long. Well, I'm saying if you bring it up to her, maybe she'll yell some it's more. Part of the magic. Yeah. No, man, she yells anymore. She's going to lose her voice. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's get back to the notes before Please. we get you in a divorce. Mm, no, she mm, Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. But she says he can't smoke yet, so he puts out his match and he puts a cigarette back and goes how, you know, much, how much of a cured man am I? And she goes, well you are cured. The doctor said you were cured and he wouldn't let you fly all the way home if you weren't. Do- we can obviously tell Bill Shatner's been through some shit. Yeah, there's something going on with flying in this man. Yes. Uh, he then turns and tells his wife how much he's missed her and how bad he feels that she's been pretty much you know, having to do this alone for six months and uh, at this point then the cabin doors close and he 
gets scared again and something he states that he's uh he's uh somewhat of a like uh, he's had a coward's moment you know a momentary cowardly moment or something like that so he's even kind of on his own self you know he kind of he's very self-aware but then he leans back he goes but of course i'm cured i'm cured you know almost like he's he's telling her how cured he is he's deluding himself that he's going to be able to do this yes exactly and there's a good reason why i picked this for that very reason yeah because you that that is me on a flight bev i'm cured (laughs) no it's like i'm going to be able to handle it this time i'm going to be able to do it i'm going to do it i'm going to be fine hey hey look who's not crying (laughs) like a big boy (laughs) i've never been reduced to tears but i've been close to a panic attack and really bad turbulence fuck yeah i've had my heart pounding and shit like that so and then i even looked this up because i didn't want to write it down write it down wrong and not do it justice Uh but the opening intro for uh oh the actual description yes from rod sterling and uh, a portrait of a frightened man mr robert wilson 37 husband father and salesman on stick leave mr wilson has just been discharged from a sanitarium where he spent the last six months recovering from a nervous breakdown, the onset of which took place on an evening not dissimilar to this one, on an airliner very much like the one in which Mr. Wilson is about to be flown home. The difference being that on that evening, half a year ago, Mr. Wilson's flight was terminated by the onslaught of his mental breakdown. Tonight, he's traveling all the way to his appointed destination, which contrary to Mr. Wilson's plan, happens to be the darkest corner of the Twilight Zone. (laughs) I should have just pulled the clip, but it's kind of fun to have you read that. I, well, that's what I thought. I thought it'd be fun to read it, so. You, you did an okay job of trying to do Rod Sterling, but no one really does No, Rod no one Sterling. can really do Rod. Yeah, no. That's... Rich Little does a really good Rod oh, Sterling, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Rich, Rich Little, Little does a really, really good, good anything. Every, yeah, 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 really everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wasn't even really trying to do him. I was just trying to concentrate on reading it right, because, I mean, it gets slippery, slippery there with the dialogue and stuff. Well, it's almost like Rod Sterling was a writer. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, he, he was. I know. Okay. I didn't, right. wasn't though, I didn't know if you were yes. that or not. Yes, I was aware. You're more well-informed than I give you credit for. With Twilight Zone, I kind of am. <laughs> All right. Well, it is a stormy flight, and his wife has taken a sleeping pill to help her sleep. What the fuck, lady? He needs you for support. Give him the fucking sleeping well, pill. It, it, she said I should not have popped that sleeping pill, but he's like, no, no, no. You go to sleep. You go to sleep. Anyway, Robert... I got this. I got this yeah, by yeah, the ass. Pretty much. He was like, <laughs> you just go to sleep. And uh, he looks out the window and sees... He's a creature on the wing. Uh, he calls for a man with a Halloween mask and a carpet suit. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, very big time. He starts ringing for an attendant. Uh, but when she gets there, the creature is gone. Uh, his wife wakes up and asks if, you know, he would like a sleeping pill. And he's like, and I think at this point he's like, I must have good Lord. I'm seeing things now. This is bad. Um, he tells her no. And maybe later, I think he actually might take one, uh, but it doesn't help him go to sleep and i think when you're that manic it's you'd have 10 sleeping pills and ain't gonna work uh i know for a fact doping myself up for a flight doesn't work for me yeah so <laughs> she goes back to sleep and Robert's, perfectly legal prescribed medication of course and we're, these are all like regular curtains on this flight you know yeah. old, old timey so uh he decides to give it one last gander before he tries to sleep and the creature is face up right against the window and yes very much just a halloween mask and um, well, you this, can tell they didn't spend their money on the bear this time. Yes. And at this point, Robert just starts like closing his eyes, whispering to himself, it's not there. It's not there. That's not there. 
All the while, the creature's kind of looking inside the window, having a jolly old time. Because he knows that it saw him, and it's. It, I yeah. think it's having more fun fucking with him than trying to bring down the plane. I think so. <laughs> and it, Robert then is begging for his wife to wake up, in which it's, it's hard because she's, you know, pilled up. And he keeps calling for a stewardess, and then you see it kind of like it leaps up, almost like it's going up and around the plane. And yeah. once again, by the time anybody gets there, it's gone. And uh, it, it, this kind of fucks with me a little bit because I'm like, motherfucker, would that just be like the fucking luck? <laughs> He's gonna be the one guy, the one guy who no one would believe, and you're sitting. You have to sit there. There are so many fucking horror movies patterned after just that thing alone. Yes, being the one guy who happens to know, but no one will believe them because or gal. You know, maybe you spent some time in a crazy house. I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> Sane people. Yeah, because there are any of those left? <laughs> Not now. <laughs> Not since November 2016. There hasn't been fucking sane people in this country. Man, we're up on the anniversary of that, aren't we? Right now. Yeah, I know. I'm fucking feeling it. Yep. Um, it's like some people who have PTSD, how uh, they get triggered on the anniversary of the event that actually happened, or they start having more and more episodes. Yeah. That's what's happening here. Once again, they leave, and, and Robert looks out the window. Once again, now we see the creature, and now the creature's really actually fucking with the plane. Before, he was just kind of like crawling around. Yeah. Now he's actually lifting up a panel and trying to fuck with the engine. He's getting in and messing with some of the wires. Yeah. He's kind of slow humping the sheets of metal. He really is. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You tr- are you trying to bring us down or are you trying to fuck the plane? This is 60s TV. That's just inappropriate. I don't care if you're the monster for this week. Yeah. Listen, if you're trying to bring us down, I'm going to have to stop you. If you're just trying to fuck the plane, I don't really care. I'm going to let you fuck the plane. Just, you know, call it in the morning or love, something. Love the plane. Don't crash the plane. Yeah, yeah right? He again uh, wakes up his wife and the creature disappears. Um, she asks if the storm's bothering her. And he says that there's a man or then he comes up with the name a gremlin. It was what did they used to say in World War II? A gremlin. He said, uh, out on the wing. He um That was actually a thing where they they had they claimed that a lot of planes that were brought down in World War II were gremlins. Yes. Yeah. And then he, you know, he states he keeps jumping away and that he knows how this looks. He like says, I know how it looks. I just got out of, you know, being in a nut house on from a flight, a mental that's, breakdown. That's really offensive to call it a nut house. Probably. A, a sanatorium. An asylum. Asylum is fine yeah. too. Our permanent residence within the next year or two probably yeah. um but he's sure it's real he's like i know it's real now so he's got his belief down well and there's evidence of something going on with the wing of, mm-hmm. but the thing keeps putting the panel back down it hasn't torn it yet or anything so he asked his wife to actually he goes i need you to go grab the flight engineer explain to him what's happening or in and so they hear it coming from you and not from me right and she goes okay and while she's trying to get him he sees in the 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 he's the creature now has the panel way up so he's like now 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 come here come here and the flight engineer runs down with his wife and by this point in time the creature is gone again and the panel's down so it's not even up anymore like it was <laughs> so now he really is like fuck 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 and you can tell he's trying to say I swear the panel was up it was up I swear this is what I saw and you, go, you guys saw and then the flight engineer with some quick thinking uh, somewhat patronizing him a little bit but goes I know sir we know you just don't you can't disturb the other you know uh, uh the other you know yeah, you saw it we're aware of it we're don't, aware of it we, we don't want to scare anybody yeah. else so. and he goes oh he goes, you, you're aware of the man he goes of course we are but we don't want to you know you know disturb the other people on the I flight i don't think he does it in a patronizing tone it's not, I, it's not in a patron yeah. robert feels patronized is what i was kind of oh. meaning he's what i mean he's he does a very good job of 
you know, not at tame. first. He doesn't feel patronized at first, but yeah. then he gets a clue that this guy's just placating me. Yes, uh, yeah. and uh, he goes, he goes, and he goes, but we don't want to, you know, disturb the other uh, people on the flight. And he goes, no, of course not. We definitely don't. And then he stops and he realizes. He goes, oh, yeah, fuck you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and he sits there and hey, stop talking to me like I talk to my wife. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on, man, <laughs> dick. I'm uh, not the one who gets hysteria. I don't have a womb. <laughs> Uh, That's that a callback for an episode you weren't on. Oh, okay. Yeah. That message was brought to you by the 1950s. The 1950s. What a terrible time to not be a white male. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's still fucking different. Yeah, it's not right that now. great now either. But I mean, it was worse back then. Yeah. I mean, it's nowhere near where it should be. But it was still worse back then. <laughs> At least you can bitch about it on the internet now. Yes, right. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, the flight engineer grabs like almost like a hospital bag and brings out a pill and convinces uh, Robert's wife to give it to him. So she comes back and she begs him to take the pill and he agrees and he takes it and then uh, she uh, goes back and I believe she uh, she once again falls back uh, asleep and then he spits out the pill because he was like fuck that and he uh, he doesn't want to get woke. Yes right he, doesn't want to be, he wants to stay woke he doesn't want to be not woke. Was it the blue pill? Yes it was the blue pill. No it was the red pill. Oh, is that what it is? I don't know. Fuck it. It's a fucking Matrix. I can't remember that shit. Fuck that movie. I know, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Somewhere somebody dressed like Neo just shut off the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Again, he sees the gremlin out on the wing fucking with shit, so he looks around and he sees a sleeping police officer who's armed. So he sneaks away and grabs the officer's gun. You're not going to see that anymore either. Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, Exactly. So he grabs the gun and he sneaks back to his seat and he really tightens his uh his seatbelt very very tight another one of those yeah. something bad's about to happen tighten the seatbelt grab the yeah, exactly. grab the armrest yeah. uh, and he asks his wife if if she'd go get him some water very frantically and she gets up and she goes okay she goes gets the water and with that he opens up the emergency window and which tears him out of the plane almost but luckily he's got the seatbelt going so yeah so he's basically clogged the hole of the plane and he blows away the gremlin off the wing he shoots it several times yeah yes um so anyway yes anyway he shoots the gremlin uh they of course have to force land the plane as they're trying to drag him back in through the uh, window by force land do you mean like from star wars or do you mean like emergency landing? emergency landing i'm sorry they're forced to land the plane there we go there we go yeah <laughs> <laughs> and maybe just, use the force. Maybe in your head, you just see a bunch of Jedi like trying to steady yes, the plane. Yes, pretty much. I, I think Yoda's on the plane going, all right, settle it down. I got it. <laughs> Shoot at me, he did. Try to fix things I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. Um while they're on the ground, he looks to his wife and he even says, like, you know, I'm I'm fine now. I am cured. I'm I'm fully cured. I it, saved us all. I saved us all. And, and no one will ever believe and me. No one will ever believe me. At yeah. least not right now, but they will. Yeah. They will believe me. You know, once they check, they will. And then we go to our closing narrative, which I also got because I didn't want to fuck it up. The flight of Mr. Robert Wilson has ended now. A flight not only from point A to point B, but also from the fear of recurring mental breakdown. Mr. Wilson has that fear no longer, though for the moment he is, as he has said, alone in his assurance. Happily, his conviction will not remain isolated too much longer, for happily, tangible manifestation is very often left as evidence of trespass, even from so intangible a quarter as the Twilight Zone. 
shown. Yeah, and you see the planes and all the, torn up. Yeah, and it's, the wing is an engine are all completely torn to pieces. And it looks like claw marks. It's, yes. It's, and they're going to probably think it's from his bullets, but yeah. There, there's no way that could be from bullets. Yeah, so. just that from bullets. Yeah, they'll yeah. have to something to explain. In the wrong direction from him shooting. So yeah, he was clearly shooting at something. Yep. The only happy ending you will probably get in most Twilight Zone episodes. Kind of, yeah. It's bittersweet too because it, nobody's going to believe him, but eventually they're going to have this unexplained phenomenon that he's going to go down for. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's F13 from CinemaDiabolica.com. Here at Diabolical Headquarters, we have an eye for the future. That's why we've stopped trying to figure out what it is you fickle bastards like, and instead have resorted to directly stimulating the pleasure centers of your brains using our patented brainwave fustigation therapy. Created and guaranteed safe by our own Professor DZ. Wait, I didn't say it was safe. But why take our word for it? Let's look at some of the test subjects experiencing an enhanced episode of Cinema Diabolica and see what they think. All right, test subject number five, role playback. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, God. Oh, sh- shut down the playback. Oh, God, she's bleeding. Cinema Diabolica, dousing you with hot cauldrons of entertainment since 2007. Check it all out at cinemadiabolica.com and hear all the Pops In podcasts at popsyndicate.net. on a second uh-huh that mentions the twilight zone how's that to not on the nose but pearl jam is well the song is called alive from pearl jam that you wanted to yeah play. yeah and this is called when the bullet hits the bone but it talks about twilight zone yeah but it's the subject matter fits for us covering the twilight zone because he says twilight but zone would alive from pearl jam fit no, the next it, movie? no it does not fit the next movie it does not fit the movie at all <sighs> and it doesn't matter it, it, it should matter it doesn't matter matt because you know what does matter what's that that we play this trailer there's a man on the wing after 20 years you've analyzed a lot you remember people heroism the miracle of the andes that's what they called it to be affronted by solitude without decadence or a single material thing to prostitute it elevates you to a spiritual plane where i felt the presence of god now there's the god they taught me about at school and there is the god that's hidden by what surrounds us in this civilization. 
Were we supposed to fly that close to the mountains? That's the god I met on the mountain. We were brought together by a grand experience. Grand experience, huh? Yeah, I mean, how is this a fucking grand experience? I'll try and explain it. I'll see if I can find that perspective. Please, because that that is macabre as shit. Yeah, well, since uh, we kind of heard the opening narration already, I'm just going to go ahead and play that as our first clip because that explains a whole lot about the characters besides I don't feel like doing. Yeah, okay, well then. And I'm lazy. Lazy fuck. My father took these. He was a maniac for the camera. That's me. That's Felipe Nando. That's Alex Morales. He died instantly. That's Antonio, captain of the team. After 20 years, you analyze a lot. You remember people, heroism, the miracle of the Andes. That's what they called it. Many people come up to me and say that had they been there, they surely would have died. But it makes no sense because until you're in a situation like that, you you have no idea how you'll behave. To be affronted by solitude without decadence or a single material thing to prostitute it elevates you to a spiritual plane where I felt the presence of God. Now, there's the God they taught me about at school. And there is the God that's hidden by what surrounds us in this civilization. That's the God I met on the mountain. Okay, so the film after that little clip and the little uh, slideshow kind of showing you the upcoming players that we're going to be seeing on the plane. Yeah. It's, the film opens up with a little bit of a scrolling script and it explains that it is currently 1972 in the film and that a South American rugby team with relatives and friends have charted this plane that is now currently crossing the Andes Mountains and they're going on their way to play a game in the neighboring Chile. Now, the plane is filled with with extremely excited people. This rugby team is pretty rowdy. I think this is like a championship thing. This is like a big deal. Yeah. And they're young men and what uh, young men fuck off. That's what they do. They on high off. protein diets, man. <laughs> yeah. And especially when you're in the sports ball, apparently that makes you even more of a lughead and does stupid shit. Damn, dude. Jesus. I'm just saying. I mean, you don't know. Some of our listeners might be into sports ball. Yeah, but just because, you know, they're into sports ball doesn't mean that they fit this. But if you're going to be playing the sports ball, you're going to try and prove yourself to your teammates that you're more of a man. I get maybe there's that there's that competition. But I mean, thing. there's extra craziness in some from one sport to another. Like baseball, the, the the craziness can be a little bit more timid because I mean, you're not putting yourself at great risk. But with rugby, I mean, you're you're really taking your own body into you know. So what you're saying is baseball players are inherently lazy compared to rugby players. Not lazy, just they don't have as many risks. So there's not as crazy maybe in the head. <laughs> all right, so their rugby ball players are going all over the place, being crazy, tossing. Uh, is it a, still a pigskin if it's rugby? What do you call it? I, I don't know. The rugby ball? All right. So we see some of the teams sort of conversing and there's the usual sports ball cliches. There's like the one guy I think the team captain is talking to one of their like star players who he's really good, but he's always late and he's always fucking up. And you hear phrases like give 110%, which is fucking bullshit. But everybody in sports always says that. Give 110%. You can't give any more than 100% because 100%, give it 110. Is, 100% is the maximum you are capable of giving. I want 130 Oh, fuck you. 
<laughs> Fuck that cliche. It's so fucking stupid. I give 200% all day, every day. <laughs> okay. So that's still 100 of the total percentage. No, it's 100 plus 100. Don't you know math? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're alienating sports ball fans here. We might be, and I am one. <laughs> I'm starting to get offended. I am them. And I was doing the joke. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So when it comes to actually being picture time, trying to describe some of the action, but I didn't want to take notes on it because they're on a plane and I'm already freaking out because I know what's coming and I don't want to fucking pay attention. Are the notes like frantic looking? <laughs> <laughs> Not any more than they normally are. <laughs> My handwriting's atrocious. Oh yeah, so is mine. All right, so some of the family members are a bit nervous about flying and I'm feeling the pain. I'm thinking about, uh, it's Nando's mother and his sister, I think. They're sitting together. Yeah. And the mom's a little bit nervous about flying, but the sister's fine and is trying to kind of talk her down and keep her calm. And they don't like flying over the mountains. The mother particular doesn't like flying over the mountains because she said they look like teeth that would chew them up or something like that. Don't worry, mom. It's not like we're going to go crashing into those mountains. Yeah. And she says something about how they're beautiful, actually. <laughs> and then the plane steward actually brings a little bit of tea to the pilot and is told that the kids and everyone in the back need to buckle up because they will be going through some rough weather on their approach to land and the plane starts to descend into cloud cover as the steward tries to tame the rugby ruffians who refuse to do anything and are ignoring him until the actual first turbulence hits and my ass puckers hardcore <laughs> that first like plane drop Boom. just the little yeah. one Boom. where it gets them all going okay we should probably chill out uh-huh you know except for a few of the guys that have to prove how fucking manly and tough they are because they give 110 percent yeah fucking <laughs> This is going to be like that goddamn bullshit with Jack Brooks Monster Slayer where you just kept fucking pushing that button uh-huh. just to try and get me to go off. <laughs> you know, if it distracts me from the fucking horror I'm about to describe, then I sure, know. I'm trying it. to help you. <laughs> Maybe. I've given 110% trying to help you. <laughs> no, you're just being an asshole. I learned it from watching you. No, I learned that from watching you. <laughs> All right, so one of the players actually makes a joke by getting onto the intercom about the plane getting ready to crash and that everybody should be ready to go or some shit like that and that's when we see that there's a married couple there and the wife in that couple played by Ileana Douglas actually starts tightening the strap on her seatbelt and like really pulls that shit down tight is that you that's me yeah the first sign of turbulence I got one hand on the strap on my seatbelt and I'm tightening it as far as I can yeah try and get the strap even tighter come on all of this shit that's going through my head and all the stuff that I'm doing I know is bullshit and while I'm doing it I feel ridiculous that I'm doing it oh yeah and I just get more angry at myself but I (laughs) can't fucking help it. It's like, that's why it's a phobia. I just do it. Yeah, it's a compulsion, man. It's there. All right, so the turbulence starts getting worse and worse, and so does my ability to try and explain what's happening on the film for my notes. (laughs) And we actually see the plane bounce on what is later described as a big pocket of air, but Jesus Christ, that bounce made my heart sink. Oh, yeah. And we're only watching it on on TV. God, can you imagine a bounce like that in real life? I've been on a plane that bounced like that, and I fucking shit my pants. (laughs) Not literally, but I wanted to. All right, so that air pocket bounce makes more of the passengers begin to get startled and panic as the big flashing light that says pull up shines down on the pilots and they realize that they've gone too close to the mountain and then one of the pilots screams out, mother of God, no, which is not anything you ever want to hear a pilot say. Yeah. Luckily, that wasn't into the horn. And then they work simultaneously to try and pull up the plane as the plane starts speeding towards the mountain and it's due. Now, that's where 
I know that turbulence has, quote unquote, turbulence has never brought down a plane. Yeah. And it was like their instruments weren't working right. They were mm-hmm. flying too close to the mountain to begin with when they were going through the cloud yep. cover. Also, it's 1972. Yeah. You know, planes have gotten better since then. But this is my nightmare. <laughs> now, is, wouldn't it be even worse if like you're on a plane and the pilot on speaker goes, oh, mother of God. But what happened was he just like spilt something on his pants and there's no problem with the plane at all. And everyone starts panicking. He goes, oh, oh shit, is that Micah? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty bad too. This is exactly what I'm pretty much afraid of is, and this is the worst case scenario because they try to pull up and it fails yeah. miserably and they end up bouncing the survivability area of the tail of the plane. Uh-huh. They bounce that shit off the bottom of yeah, the mountain. so those people are dead. Yeah, they break off the back of the plane and that goes flying out and then that immediately spends this plane spinning and then it knocks off one of the wings. So they have no hope of trying to steady it from this point. Yeah. No matter what, even though they just lost the tail. That's the left wing that it ends up sending off and then they go sliding down the ridge and then the right wing breaks off and while that happens the steward ends up flying out of the back of the plane with two of the seats whenever that breaks off they go spinning bye yeah when they go flying out of the back of the plane they're just fucking gone and the thing that saved me from like really freaking out was mm-hmm. the fact that i knew how this process shot was done now how you could you see the map it? lines i was watching it on tv i'd had it on tv because i had to have light for my notes to be okay. able to write them out but you I, weren't writing it in your home theater no i didn't setup. have the surround sound on but i did have my headphones on so that but i mean if you had a, the big screen lights off and then surround sound I honestly do you think don't. That done I, worse? No, I, no, it's it's not. It doesn't make it that much more real for me. I gotcha. It's me thinking about the scenario that freaks me out. I, okay. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So we then see more seats break off. Some of them passengers. Some of them are just the seats. And then we see pieces of the roof of the cabin break off as that happens, and more people go out of the back of the plane. And then the plane bits that are left kind of land on the snow cap of a mountain, and then go sliding along the mountain, launching two more seats out of the back of the fucking thing on that crash right from the rear of the plane and then the plane slides all the way down the mountain into like this little valley like area and then the nose of the plane embeds itself into a side of a hill and it looked like it might have been rocks covered in snow yeah or, or like the side of uh, the mountain that was like a ledge that stuck up or something like that in this valley area whatever it was it embeds into that and that pretty much crunches the whole front of the plane and it launches every single seat every single passenger everyone forward Oof. all forward to the front of the plane face mm. first one guy gets launched out of his seat and cracks his goddamn skull on the front of the plane, right on the divider between, you know, the, the area yeah. where the stewards go and then yeah. the, the door for the pilots and shit. And then the crash is finally over. Then we see the blowing snow start to hit. And then one of the survivors comes to, and they all start assessing the situation. But my favorite was the one guy that stands up. He goes, holy shit, we stopped. <laughs> where he's just like, he's he's got the adrenaline going and yeah. he's just glad that he's conscious and alive. Ooh, but all the people that are actually still alive and that have survived the plane crash immediately begin to assess their predicament and then many of the passengers are obviously injured more kind of don't even realize that they're injured and even more of them have been killed so essentially they're sifting through the wreckage trying to get people out if they can trying to find the people that are injured and treat them and one of the guys is like a first year medical student I think he's either a first year medical student there's two student of them or, who are medical students one's only a first year and one's like a couple years in but yeah. but they don't they only know enough to kind of 
sort of ease the pain for everybody and dress some of the wounds, but they're not going to be a whole hell of a lot of help is what they're getting set up here. Better to have a little something than nothing. No, I totally agree. So they start trying to help the passengers that are more obviously injured and trying to deal with the ones that have been killed and just kind of moving them aside. That's when the team captain tries to rally everyone as we see survivors try to help one another. During the crash, a piece of shrapnel comes flying off and gashes a character named Frederico in the leg and rips open basically from his ankle to his kneecap. Ouch. It's a big freaking gash down the side of his leg opened up huge. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, it was massive. But he's telling everyone to deal with somebody else that he'll be fine and, you know, they basically make it so he won't bleed out and the first year medical student tries to start administering any first aid that he possibly can. We're not even like 12 minutes in and they're still trying to get people squared away. And it's right when he starts fixing people up and they start trying to patch everybody up that I realize that I haven't been breathing and I don't know how long I stopped. (laughs) (laughs) I was writing notes, like I would pause it, write notes, and then I think I just went through the actual main worst part of the crash Yeah, and then went back and wrote the notes about it later. Uh But it's at that point when he starts administering the first aid where I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> okay. And I kind of pause for a moment and I'm trying to catch my breath and I realize my heart is pounding like a motherfucker after that crash. And in my head, I'm like, oh, this really isn't that bad. You can see the mat lines and all of that kind yeah. of stuff. And no, <laughs> it still got me. I mean, when you have a phobia, it don't matter how, you know, listen, the graphics last week in, in Vertigo weren't all that great, but they were enough. Yeah, it was enough to trigger it and yeah. make you think about it. Exactly. Once I get my shit back together, I start taking notes again and we see that there's a character named Bobby who's just kind of sitting outside on some luggage having a good smoke and he's kind of chilling out. He's dealing with this by being pretty nihilistic and kind of hopeless and just being like, eh, fuck it, I'm going to smoke. <laughs> and <laughs> That would be me. One of the other guys comes out and goes to get a smoke with him, but he goes to step out on the snow and he just plummets all the way down. Ooh. And he's like chest deep in snow. Yeah. Well, the other guy's sitting on some luggage on top because it's dispersing his weight across the snow. Yeah. But the guy works his way over to him and gets a cigarette anyway because fuck it, he's already covered in snow. Yeah, I mean, time to get smoke. Uh, Well, they're both having a good smoke and more dead passengers are found. They're literally spending a lot of this time just digging people out. And they're mostly looking for stuff to help them keep warm or suitcases or something to help someone else. And that's when they end up finding a dead body or another injured person. And this is all pretty realistic, this kind of triage thing that they're trying to do. It's very realistic. Even more believable actually than the plane crash and yeah. I started getting really involved because I'm I mean I was a boy scout I did a lot of survivalist camping on top of that yeah um, when I was a kid I had a guy that my mom worked with who was like everybody in his family was in the military so I did a lot of crazy shit like survivalist camping on the side of mountains you know where nice you take up a certain amount of gear and then you try and forage for food and figure out what you were going to do I just decided I'd rather die in the plane crash <laughs> <laughs> some repelling some uh, spelunking all stuff that I'm terrified to do now but I did then oh yeah I mean Maybe back then. Yeah. That kind of stuff. That still intrigues me. You know, like the whole, can you survive in this scenario? What what can you find to fix and get what you need? Yeah. You know? So when they start finding things like unzipping the seat covers to become blankets and like that stuff started getting my intrigue where I'm like, okay, how are they going to survive? What are they going to do? Yeah. And I start getting interested in, okay, how are they going to go from here? How are you going to live? Yeah. So by the point that they start unzipping the seat covers and, you know, securing the cushions and trying to find ways to keep people warm and, and what they're going to do to survive and how they're trying to fix people up. By the time
time that happens, which is probably what, like another five minutes after the crash, uh-huh. I'm already like over the crash. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's not even in my mind. The rest of the movie, I'm like, fine. It was just that first moment. Yeah. So we could almost just stop talking about the movie and move on because the crash is... Well, we already did a television show. I, I thought that's all we're going to do today. I'm kind of shocked we're doing a movie right now. <laughs> did you think we were doing the movie another week? I watched it anyway, so you're lucky. But uh, yeah, I thought we were just going to do it another week. I thought, oh, short episode tonight. <laughs> Um, I would not have dropped that acid. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Buried underneath a bunch of suitcases, they find more injured people and some more dead people. And a character named Pablo comes up to Frederico, the medical student. And Pablo has a steel bar sticking out of his guts. And he just says, when you have a minute, can you take a look at this? <laughs> he looks down. Things are strange. And he's got it in an area that's pretty bad. That's like the liver area of the body where he got stabbed. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you really need your liver, though. That's not like a necessary, right? No, it really is. No, it's like the gallbladder. You don't use it. No, it, your liver's gone. You're dead. Really? Yeah. Huh. That uh, would have been information good to have like 20 years ago. He would have still drank, so it doesn't matter. I mean, probably, but at least he would have been concerned about it. <laughs> it's never too late to stop drinking. <laughs> Shut up. Read your fucking notes. While Pablo's distracted by Frederico, he says, we have to grab this thing and that the steel bar is going to be fine. Frederico just grabs the bar and rips it the fuck out of his guts. And then it's not bleeding a lot and it doesn't look like it went in super deep and yet it's still very perplexing. He pretty much should be dead, but uh, he seems to be just fine with it. So they give him like a towel or a scarf or something and they said, keep that on it and we'll have a look at it later. One of the players uses an ingenious plan. He takes this cushion and uses that to walk around the plane. So he starts throwing the cushions down in front of him to disperse his weight on the snow so he can walk around the front of the plane. And I think what he's doing is looking to see if anybody got thrown out of the plane that might be in the snow and could have survived. Yeah. Or if he can see into the front of the plane to see if anything... Maybe you know, even just to get a general idea with the outside of the plane, what's going on on the outside of the plane. Yeah, you know? whatever. But he's using that to walk around the plane and then he ends up checking into the cockpit and he ends up seeing that there is one of the pilots jammed in, slammed in between his instruments to be able to fly the plane and his seat. So he's yeah. crushed, but yeah. he's still barely alive. Oof. And he asked for water, which was really harrowing because he's like, it's obvious this guy's not going to make it very far, but yeah. he's going to die, but they're going to have to give him water because they're human and you know you have to take care of your fellow man of course apparently yeah that's something that people do that's something normal people do apparently ah well those normies while this guy is checking on the pilot the film kind of cuts around a little bit and you see the survivors begin removing the dead out of the plane to sort of make room for this little shelter area they're about to build and they put the dead out into the snow and they start tending to the wounded as they find them and as quickly as they can depending upon the injuries that's when we see they all go and break into the front of the airplane when they finally get that cleared and the pilot is in there and he gets some water but then he asks them to grab his bag and says that his gun is in there and he is basically asking them to kill him they're saying that they can't do that 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 wouldn't be right and that it's not that bad or something like that but he knows that his time's up and he just wants to end his suffering they end up discovering that the radio is dead and that it won't work he tells them there's no power that they will need batteries and then i'm pretty sure he dies right after that bye yeah they cut from this to more survivors they start digging out luggage and extra seats and they're cleaning out all of this stuff from the wreckage and that leads us to our very first cheerful and happy clip yay well it's too late the rescues will never see us today stop i guess we'll be spending the night rescues how the hell are they gonna find us don't worry they'll find us the temperature's gonna drop when it gets dark maybe 30 40 degrees don't worry we'll deal with that don't worry 
This cover's come off. We can use these as blankets. That's a good idea. Everybody, let's unzip these covers off the seats. They use as blankets. Huh? How's your stomach? Good. Fine. Good. I thought it was just a coat, but when I went to take it, there he was. Are you hurt? Identify yourself! Identify yourself! My name is Roberto Canessa. I'm a medical student. I'm a member of the rugby team that chartered this plane. You're a member of the flight crew, aren't you? Aren't you? Yes. I'm the mechanic. Do you know how to fix radios? No. You took this coat off a girl over there, didn't you? No. You're right. This is Ana Parada's coat. I'll put it back on her. Take it off her again, and I'll kill you. Excuse me. All right, uh, I'm going to bed. That way? Come on, Eduardo. He bumped his head. That gives you a good example there at the end there. One guy's actually watching out for his buddy who very clearly has a concussion or some kind of brain injury after the crash. Yeah. He's not going to let him sleep, but he won't let him walk out into the cold to go to sleep either. Yeah, right. They're keeping an eye on him. And that's what that guy's going to do that day is watch over him because he didn't get injured. Yep. All right. So after this clip, we end up seeing that the Bobby guy who was just sitting out there just having a cigarette finds a wine bottle and he ends up breaking off the handle of one of the bags for the luggage. And he uses that handle to push the cork down into the bottle of wine so that he can drink. He offers some to his pal and they just kind of sit there and drink. And from what he said, there's apparently a shitload of bottles that are still here and survived the crash and that they think that their pilot may have been an alcoholic because that's where he found it. Oh, shit. <laughs> Mother dick. Yeah, and then they're like pissed that, you know, he might have been drunk while he was flying or something like that. But luckily for them, they have bottles of wine to help sustain them. They at least have something that they can drink for calories and things like that. Plus, you know, wine might help them feel like they're warmer than they actually are. Yeah, It'll actually make them colder. Yeah. But fuck that, man. <laughs> and we see Antonio and Robert are conversing about their chances and how they're going to survive as they try to concoct some type of plan in order to survive because they know they're not going to get picked up tonight. They know they got to do something to basically all huddle up and try and keep warm because they know it's going to get super to cold at night. stay alive? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, the title uh-huh. of the film. There you go. Uh-huh. Later that night, the woman that was trapped under the wreckage and screaming because they couldn't get get her broken free because of the way it was bent on her legs and everything. It, she's screaming in agony the entire night as everybody else and the survivors are all freezing and trying to sleep. They left a huge... That's horrific. Yeah, but they left a huge open hole in the plane. Yeah. On a mountain. Yeah. Not thinking that it wasn't going to just blow cold air. Yeah. Or that the cold air wasn't just going to come on down in there. They didn't even close it up and anything. They weren't even thinking. No. <laughs> so like, you, you see that... And but if what you, could they cover it up with? Well, they, they figure something out but yeah, yeah. eventually maybe first night yeah you're so kind of out of it i'm gonna put it up to shock that they yeah. forgot it but it would have been obvious that they needed to build a better shelter yeah i mean like i can sit here and say well you have all this snow around you why not close it off with snow and dig out a hole like an igloo that's true and but then, now is the snow packable yeah you see it later that it's packable yeah all but snow I'm is packable say, well, and when it gets that cold it'll freeze on the outside and snow also acts like an insulator that's true none of these guys probably knew this shit no they're lucky they survived the long as they did yeah right in the first night <laughs> if they wouldn't have figured out how to block it they would have froze to death that night and that yes. would have been the end of all of them yeah that's true because it got down to be that cold but anyway she's screaming in agony and the survivors are all trying to sleep and at one point one of them screams at them and they start huddling up trying to stay alive trying to share warmth whatever they can do and then I think it's Antonio finally figures out that they need to seal up that large gaping gigantic fucking hole and they decide to use the suitcases that are left behind so they stack up all the suitcases 
spaces, the seats and everything like that. And they just close it off to at least kind of keep some of the heat in and retained. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> some of the guys help, but some of them just kind of stay put and say, fuck you, I'm cold because that's all they care about. Yeah. You can kind of see that whole who the shitheads are. Well, no, it's they've given up. The people that are there have already given up. They're like, I'm cold. This is just how I'm going to die. Let's just let it be whatever. Like, that sucks. Yeah, they just want to go to sleep. That's It feels like they gave up. Yeah. It's not that they don't care. It's just that they, they've lost hope already. They seal up the large hole in the plane with the suitcases and some of the remaining seats and all of that stuff. And the horror and the stress then sets in on the group as the place starts to warm up. And I think they kind of realize that they actually are going to survive and they need to figure out how to do that. Yeah. I think this gravity of everything that's happened to them is it hits them at that point but then they start huddling up together to try and share body heat and they mm -hmm. put underneath the seat covers and everything to try and stay warm and share the heat because that's what you have to do they dissolve from this to the following day and they dig out of the suitcases and they check to see who survived the night and that leads us to our next clip what's the story in here well, they're both dead you're the mechanic right do you have any signal flares no emergency supplies no, nothing like that. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with you? What about the radio? What about the radio? Can it be made to work? Not, not without batteries. Well, are there batteries or not? The batteries are in the tail and the, the tail's gone! <laughs> Forget it, it's crazy. Anyway, it doesn't really matter what? about the radio. Nice, but I'm fine this window without the radio. Are you sure? I have a doubt in my mind. Who's that? That's the woman who was screaming all night. This is Alphonsine. Don't tell me it's her. What's the matter? I yelled at her. I told her to shut up. We all wanted to, Carlitos. But I did. Now she's dead. I'm so ashamed. God forgive me. After this, the group wastes time on prayer. God damn. They then cut to food in the snow. We see what food that they have, which is very little for as many people that are left alive, which consists of like some crackers, a few bars of chocolate, and um, like a couple of bottles of wine. And they decide that they are going to ration out the food, which it ends up being everybody gets one cap of wine and one tab of chocolate per day. Jesus. Is it per day? I believe so. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's pretty much what they have have, but you already see some Weasley bastards actually looking like they're trying to get some more. Yeah. But it turns out that that guy actually is a nice guy. He says it's somebody's ration who happens to be knocked out and he does end up dumping the wine down his gullet and trying to feed him the chocolate even though he's unconscious. Yes. So my immediate note where I'm like, you son of a... Oh, oh uh, uh, wait. Uh, no. Never mind. <laughs> nope, never mind. He is trying to take care of an unconscious comrade. You're so. an okay. Yeah, you're, you're an okay guy, I guess. But they do. They end up pouring wine down his gullet and even though his face is swollen, it's very clearly Ethan Hawke character who is alive but is really fucked up. Yeah. While they're doing this they actually hear a plane fly overhead but they cannot see the plane and they know that the plane cannot see them so their hope is dashed once again and then we see them all huddling up once again to try and keep warm that night. This is where desperation and hopelessness hits them once again. It seems like during the day they have hope but at night when it's super cold it starts to set in how fucked they are. Yeah. And I think it has to do with how much more miserably cold it is and that's mm -hmm. why they get that way. Definitely. All right, well, they cut from that to the following day. They're using metal pieces from the seats to harness the sun's power, basically 
to heat up the metal and then melt snow and then they bent the metal in such a way to channel it like into a bottle or anything like that and now they have a way to make fresh water yep. from the snow. That was pretty ingenious. That was really good. Yeah. Then we see that many of the survivors are pretty much just lounging around all day because they feel like you know the world owes them something or whatever or they've also just given up and they're just going to sit there while about five or six other guys do the bulk of the work and it seems to be like Frederico, Antonio and like the main guys that basically end up surviving through the film and your main characters are the ones that are doing all the hard work. Yeah. We got that Bobby the smoker guy is just still chilling and talking shit to everybody who's doing the work. Yeah. Pretty much I would probably be the Frederico character or, or Fernando or one of those other guys doing some work and you would be the Bobby guy just sitting there smoking. Going, I'd have been dead in the crash actually. <laughs> There's just no way I survive. <laughs> you would have had a heart attack I'd, on the way down. Probably. Yeah. If I didn't, if I wasn't in the tail, it did get swooped away. I would have had like, yeah, I'd have been like when they found me in a seat, untouched, not a scratch on me, but my heart exploded on the way down. I'm pretty sure that that would have happened to me too. But if I survived it, I would have been like these other guys and trying to. I would have tried to. Yeah. I, I tried to survive. There's just, I mean, you can't just sit there and wait to die. All right. So Fernando starts to come around and asks what happened. And he finds out that his buddy is dead. The guy that was in the seat beside him that flew forward. But his sister is actually alive alive so he has that to cling on to he can kind of barely keep his eyes open and then his eyes kind of roll from the back of his head this is one of the times where Ethan Hawke actually does an excellent job acting because he looks like he was unconscious yeah and somehow he gets his eyes to roll around in his head like he's coming then again, to doesn't Ethan Hawke always look like he's about unconscious fair enough but <laughs> no I was actually really impressed with the scene where he yeah. comes to and he's stumbling around and he goes to find his sister who's got that head injury and is yeah. laying out and he's trying to take care of her and talk to her so well, they cut from that to that night more wine is distributed and the group huddles up to share heat once again. There's kind of a motif going here where it's during the day there is hope, during the night there is no hope and they're just trying to survive and stay warm. Yeah. The next morning, a plane is seen and they all run out in an attempt to signal for rescue. They prematurely celebrate as they have believed that they have been seen that they will be rescued. Later that night, they sing Silent Night and discuss how they will be saved in the morning and they have some hope and that is when they decide that they will eat all of the food and that the following morning they are going to be safe and they'll be they'll be rescued and everything will be fine so there's no point in rationing any more of the chocolate because they know that they're going to be saved in the morning yeah man what's the point let's go crazy the team captain finds out about this the next day and he sees kind of stupid it's like thinking you have all the lottery numbers so fuck it why not splurge the night before because we're obviously going to win the powerball yeah it was really stupid but the team captain finds out that all the food is gone and has a full-on paper clips moment big time that is also our next clip i can't believe it i thought they were picking us up and they will but it could be a land rescue they may have to come through these mountains on foot that could take days a week we have nothing to eat i know antonio but i thought they were coming this morning who are you to gamble with my life It wasn't just him, Antonio. I stole food, too. Me, too. I drank wine. I ate chocolate. Me, too. Everybody took something, Antonio, except for maybe Javier and Liliana. The only reason I didn't is because I'm nauseous. Not to me. Am I the leader of this group? I don't know. Are you? I'm the captain of the team. Is there still a team or a bunch of cutthroats now out to do each other in? Answer me! Should we take a vote? We don't need a vote. You're the leader. Answer me this, Antonio. If they spotted us, even if it is a land rescue, why haven't they dropped us any supplies? They could have done that by now. They would have done that by now. Uh, I have an, an idea to build two hammocks for Federico and Alberto. It'd be better for their legs. Can you help me, Sabrina? Sure. 
I'll help too. I saw some poles and straps. I'm sure we can do it. It's been five days. This is the fifth day. I'm hungry. While building a set of hammocks, they end up finding a radio and try to deal with their crazy mechanics nastiness because he's just all over the place. Yeah. That guy, they probably should have taken out just for everybody just, else's yeah, morale. Just to help out a little bit. <laughs> just silently snap his neck when no one's looking. <laughs> Throw him off the mountain or something. Something, yeah, because he's not helping anybody. We see Nando talking about how they're going to have to march about, you know, the top of the mountain to go look for the tail, maybe to find the batteries. Whenever he's kind of pressed about well, how are they going to do it? How will we have it? Energy. Nando makes some kind of reference about eating one of the pilots because it's their fault they're into this. Yeah. That they crashed the plane so they deserve to have their bodies eaten. Mm-hmm. Which you know everybody else is already playing around with that notion of how else are we going to survive? We, we're going to have to eat some We're going to have to eat people. Yeah. And they cut from this to the pair of guys with the broken legs are doing much better now that they are in hammocks because their legs are suspended properly and they can actually relax a little bit. And they actually seem in jovial spirits and they're in better moods than anybody else who has the use of both legs. Those guys are actually yeah, got their to shit lay around together. not do anything. Wow. <laughs> All right. If that's how you want to look at it, you fucking prick. Dicks. <laughs> and then we see a new giant antenna that they built for the radio to be able to pick up some signal, and it's actually working. But right now, it's only getting really shitty pop music. Frederico, the one man with the injured slash on his leg, swears that he is okay and he will be fine, but they must keep an eye on his bunkmate to the left of them because he has a broken leg and they then hear on the radio that no one has spotted them yet and as they are starving this is where they decide that it is time to climb to be able to get the battery for the radio we then see what i have in my notes as the death march up the mountain because that's what it sure looks like because they're mostly dead yeah they basically go to cross a snow bridge and then one of the guys goes falling through the snow as he breaks through the snow bridge then the others must scramble to pull him up as they all nearly die trying to save that one man, but they make it and they're okay. I mean, okay is a relative term at this point. They're alive. They're on the mountain. <laughs> ah, alive. None of them fell through the snow bridge. Yeah. yeah, that's about as okay as they're going to get in this scenario. Yeah. But this is an extremely demeaning experience for them and they are all weak and frail and they realize it. And this is when the subject of cannibalism is once again broached as in they should eat the guy so they have the strength to go where they need to go to save themselves. They are slowly deciding that this is what they need to do to survive and it's what they have to do and that night while they are huddled up they all waste time once again praying wow that's what they're doing savage it's wasting time savage they, they could be doing something else to stay warm but instead they're saying pray. the thoughts and prayers won't work <laughs> I'm saying that 0% of the time thoughts and prayers have done anything. Because <laughs> if thoughts and prayers worked, we wouldn't have more and more mass shootings happening. I knew I'd make it relevant. <laughs> it would have been saved at one point in time. But the reason that they're praying is even more fucked because the one religious nut uses the Arkham's Razor argument. You know Arkham's Razor, don't you? Uh-uh. The likelihood of there being a god or not doesn't matter. But in case shit, you might as well pray. Uh, that's that's yeah. basically how Occam's razor works. It's almost works. like insurance. Yeah. <laughs> the razor may not be sharp enough to cut you, but yeah. just in case, you better not play with it. I gotcha. That's the idea. And that's why they're wasting their time praying. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's God most, damn. That's the most simplified version of Occam's Razor you're ever going to get. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say simple, I mean stupid. Because <laughs> that's how badly I explained it. All right, so after this, we start getting a time-passing montage as the true helplessness of their situation sets in. Even the team captain has given up. You really see these guys are basically just laying around and they're pretty much ready to starve to death. They're no longer given 110%. No, they're not. They don't have 100 and whatever percent in them because they're mostly starving to death. They all start giving reasons that they have to live. And at that point, that's when I think Nando announces that Suzanne has died and they will take care of her body in the morning. But he wants to be able to sit with her for that night. And that made my heart sink. Yeah. Because it's like, how long has she been dead before he said anything? Mm-hmm. Before he mustered up the courage. Yeah. And he doesn't want them to cool. Or she did actually die just then, too. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is he's going to sit there and hold her body mm-hmm. because it's too much work for everyone while they're starving. Yeah. And it's going to get too cold and they're going to expend even more energy. So he'll just sit there and hold her all night. Mm-hmm. That's just horrifying. I mean, that could be something that I could see where somebody have a phobia of having to try and survive this kind of situation. Yeah. Where <laughs> it's not just a crash, it's trying to survive this, which makes sense why people would be terrified of a plane crash because it could strand you like this or on the set of a really stupid TV show on a desert island somewhere. <laughs> what, I lose you there? I get it. Lost. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it too. So it's okay. That one doesn't offend me. I don't know. Maybe it offends liked, some listeners. I really liked Lost up to a certain point. I waited to watch it until after all the hubaloo went away. Yeah. We gotta get back to the island. Yeah. And then we gotta move the island. Yeah. I will say one thing though. Terry O'Quinn's a badass motherfucker. Yes. You put him in anything and he's a badass motherfucker. Yes. Pure and simple. In the morning of day nine, and we know this because we get a subtitle that says day nine. Day nine. Nine days later. We see that Nando's sister's body is then stacked up with all of the other victims of the crash. Yes. For the first time, someone realizes that the dead don't need clothing when Nando decides that he's going to take her coat because she doesn't need it anymore. And it's at this point where the survivalist in me went, dumbasses. Every single person who died was another layer of clothing that could have kept someone else living warm. Yes. And you've buried them all in the snow. Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. You it's don't want to... respect for death. Yeah. It's it's a horrible thing to think to do to it's strip gone, someone man. who's dead. They don't need those clothes anymore. You need those clothes yeah. to keep warm. You could have made curtains that you could have divided the heat. You could have made blankets for everybody out yeah. of that stuff. You could have just had layers of you clothes. You could have just worn another layer of clothes clothing. to help keep you warm for the survivors. And there's a lot more dead than there are left alive. So they would have had a lot more clothing. Yes. I kind of wonder if they actually did that in real life, but they didn't want to show it in the the movie just for simplicity's sake because if they're already at the point where they're stripping out pieces of other things you would think that as soon as somebody dies they start taking their clothes so other people can stay warm right yeah it would just make sense it would <laughs> what else would you do I, I don't know i mean <laughs> yeah almost impossible to say god i never want to be in that situation <laughs> i never want to have to make that choice to strip yeah. the clothing off of a dead person to stay warmer exactly but when you got i'll do it if i have to <laughs> shit i might do that now <laughs> <laughs> Pretty warm in here already. Yeah, fair enough. I guess I can't wear your flesh like a mask then. No. That got dark really that fast. Real dark real <laughs> fast. Getting darker. Yeah. The team captain then learns from the radio that they have called off the search, which makes everyone lose hope. And because it's so fucking bleak and so dark, that is our next clip. Yay. I can't believe it, boy. I can't believe it. They've given up. They think we're dead. I'll kill you! I'll kill you! You promise! You promise me! What's going on? I heard on the radio. They called off the search. Get up. Better go tell the others. I can't. Kill everybody's hope. What's so great about hope? 
Hey, Danielle. Let's get everybody together. I don't know. All right. Uh, is everybody here? Yeah, yeah, we're all here. Okay, uh... Listen, I got something to tell you. Good news, they called off the search. No, what? What the hell is that good news? Because it means we're gonna get out of here on our own, all right? We're gonna save ourselves. What's that you said? Alberto, huh? Chili's to the west, right? That's right. Right. He's crazy. It won't work. When we tried to climb the hill, we had no strength. It's true. That's because you had no food. Now, if the search has been called off, then we're on our own to save our lives, and we've got to eat. You what? No. The dead? No. It means we should eat the dead. That's right. We should eat the dead. It's what we gotta face. Nando. Nando! Nando's right. What? I can't believe what I'm hearing. You too, Roberto? You're talking about eating people. We're talking about eating meat so that we don't die. I couldn't do it. It's disgusting. I couldn't do it. It's disgusting, so what? If I had a wound that was rotten and it needed to be washed out, wouldn't you do it even though it's disgusting because yeah, it needed to be done? I, I would, but I wouldn't eat you. <laughs> Shut up! Sorry. Do you believe that we have a soul and that when we die, our soul leaves our body? I don't know. I'm not a priest. Okay, all right. Look, I don't want to talk about this. Neither do I, Gustavo, but we have to. We're starving and we're trapped. Now, if the soul, if there is a soul, leaves the body when we die, then the body is just a carcass. This is the ending of the end. What's out there in the snow is just meat, Antonio. Food. I won't do it. I'd rather die. I do believe in God, and I fear to have him judge me if I do a thing like that. Well, he put us here. Maybe he did as a test to see what we do, see if we'd remain civilized. I don't think God cares whether we're civilized. Well, how the hell do you know? Let Tintin speak. He never says anything. Voice like God wants us to follow our hearts, use our reason, struggle to live. At any price? No. We shouldn't murder innocents to live. What about our innocence? What's going to become of our innocence if we survive as cannibals? Well, I'm sorry, but I can't do it. With you. I don't think I could do it. How could we go back to our families? You could go back alive. I think they'd prefer that. Roberto, are you ready to go out there and cut flesh from a human body and eat it? None of us can decide a thing like this. We're alone here. Be on the moon. This is crazy. There must have been situations like this all the way back. The first people. I don't know. There's nothing left for us to do but pray. So? I'm gonna pray. Decide in the morning. What have we done that God now asks us to eat the bodies of our dead friends? What do you think they would have thought? I don't know. Can't sleep. Hey, don't waste that battery. I know that if I died, if my dead body could help you stay alive, I want you to use it. In fact, if I do die, you don't eat me. I'm gonna come back from wherever I am and give you a good kick in the ass. It's <laughs> a good one. Take my hand. Pledge with me. Whoever dies agrees. Use my body as food. All right. I pledge. You agree? Me too. I'm in. Carlitos? Thank you. Antonio? Not. Yeah. Can you just promise, if you eat me, that you clean your plates? You gotta admit, the one it's... time that that Christian Nutter guy was actually cool to me was when he made that joke. Yeah. I liked him. Promise me you'll clear your plates. Clean your plates, yeah. Yes. As in, and don't leave me on your plate. Make sure that it's clean, yeah. We gotta unpack what's happening in that clip. We gotta talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty serious choice that you have to make. You yeah. eat the dead. Or you die. Of the plane crash, or you yourself die because you have no other choice. I mean, it goes all the way back to the Donner Party. This is a choice that people have made when you're stranded somewhere and you have no other source of food. Yeah. And everyone wants to think that they wouldn't do such a thing but when you're gonna die you really have no choice yeah when does the hunger take over about five minutes after i realize that there's no food in the pantry i start considering cannibalism <laughs> you, you might have an eating problem <laughs> not so much the eating problem as just this will to survive that i have yeah it's really <laughs> big yeah hey honey i want to make myself a sandwich where's the bread no more bread honey i'm going to have to eat people now could you call the neighbor over <laughs> i don't you just go to the store. It's cold out. Make him come to me. <laughs> can they yeah. deliver bread? No, in all seriousness. Because they can deliver neighbors. In, in all seriousness, it's a horrible choice to have to make. Yes. And I think the film handles it rather 
well. Uh, Very respectfully. The philosophical arguments that they have and the debates, it has to be based on the things that they actually said to each other on the plane. Yeah. And while they're trying to survive and the pact that they do at the end where they're like, look, right now I'm alive and I'm telling you, if you eating what's left of me when I die keeps you alive, I want you to pledge to do that and I will do the same with you. Yeah. Like that's, that was some intense shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. By the way, this is the first time I ever watched the movie was doing it for this review. Really? Never watched it before. this before? It's a fucking plane crash. Uh, Of course I avoided it. I've watched it. (laughs) Well, yeah, but that's not your phobia. No, not, not as bad as you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So after the clip that we were just talking about the next morning, they are all dour, justifiably so, and extremely apprehensive. Again, justifiably so. This is a threshold that once you cross it, you are a cannibal because you've tasted flesh. No matter what you do from here on out, you will always be known as a cannibal. You were the person that ate someone in order to survive. It's a choice that you can't go back from and it will carry a stigma whether you want it to or not. Even though people will go, well, what are the choices you have? Yeah. In the back of their head, they're going, you ate somebody. <laughs> yeah. It's important. You'll be like, oh man, I can't believe you're in your position. I had to do that, but you know, you had to survive inside their head. You fucking cannibal. I'll never take my eyes off you first. Dang it. Why are they eyeballing my arm like yeah. that? <laughs> I better get into the gym and lose some of this fat. <laughs> I look way too delicious. But they all decide that they're going to eat because they have no other choice and someone ends up handing the medical student a shard of glass to use to cut off the skin and cut up the flesh to basically go ahead and eat and he takes the shard of glass and carves out a small piece of flesh declares to everyone else that it is hard to cut and that the meat is almost frozen and he holds a piece of loft to show to everybody and says that he is going to eat it and does so having a very hard time chewing it and then even harder time swallowing it and then he drops to his knees afterwards and passes the glass off to the next person and this scene was very interesting instead of having one person carving it and feeding it to other people they all physically had to make the choice to go and make the cuts themselves in order to survive I think that's the only way to do it yeah at least the first time around until everybody realizes this is what they have to do they have to physically make the choice to remove the flesh and realize what it is that they're doing whether the filmmakers did that or if that's just how they did it on the mountain I don't know but that's a great way to visually shortcut it to where everyone has to physically make the choice to cut off the flesh and eat it. Yep. The next survivor gets a hold of a piece of flesh and then eats it and then they all start forming a line and then we see them begin eating one by one. Now obviously there's a few people that remain in the plane but we just see the line of the passengers is out there and it's kind of hard to differentiate because they're all wrapped up trying to stay warm. Yeah. And the funny thing is is the main person that was there to suggest eating the flesh which was Nando was also the most reluctant to actually eat when the time came. Yeah. Which is usually how it works. Oh yeah. Because I know me I'm all mouthy and everything but when the time comes for cannibalism I'm going to be hesitant (laughs) (laughs) there is now a search party they're looking for the tail of the plane now that they have eaten they have enough strength to be able to go further and we then see the zealot of the group tries to force everyone to pray at night now which he even ends up trying to force an agnostic he basically says no you need to pray and then the guy says no which most of them end up wasting their time with him and doing a prayer at night I mean dude savage come on man it's not wasting your time if they want to do it makes them feel better maybe (laughs) you know what else would make them feel better what not being trapped on a fucking mountain by the god they're fucking praying to damn just saying you had some problems over there yeah I have problems because I don't believe in a fucking intangible fucking parent figure in the sky waiting to fucking spank me when I do something wrong is it sad because you're always having to wait to be spanking. 
I can get all the spanking I want. <laughs> Come on, dude. If I wanted spanked right now, I could get spanked. You'd fucking do it if I asked you, and you know you would. I kind of would. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> all right. I have some odd aggression that I need to get out. All right, we're going to pause the recording for a <laughs> <laughs> all right, so after they spend all that time wasting time praying and then they finally fall asleep, the following morning, the medical student is out carving a goodly amount of meat from the hind round quarter that they've all been working on. This time, he's got it stacked on top of one of those metal trays that they're using for collecting water. Do you think they were trying to cook the meat with the sun? Possibly. The metal, maybe? Because, you know, you can get still get diseases eating raw meat and shit. Yeah. So. Well, it's frozen, so whatever's there, mm. once it's frozen, it should kill it. Should? Should uh, yeah. I don't know how the human body works. <laughs> I will say this: getting some kind of strange disease from the person that you're eating is probably going to be the least of your concerns when you're trying to survive on a mountain. I mean, that's true. But if yeah. you get rescued, and then all of a sudden one day you're walking around and you can't stop shitting your pants. <laughs> you got the trigonosis. <laughs> the fucking the mountain strikes back. <laughs> Vengeance of the mountain. Yeah, but he's got a goodly amount of meat that he's carved off. He hands a piece to Nando, insisting that he also eat it. They talk about the climbers and fear that some of them may have died because they haven't heard from them. They don't know what's going to happen. We see the climbers after they talk about them, how they must have died because of how cold it got. And they're all huddled together, shivering and trying to stay warm. And you actually see shit frozen to their faces, like the snow's frozen to their faces. And they have like ice stickles going between them and everything. They're clearly barely alive. And then the sun rises. They basically are super happy just to see the sun and they start moving around. And then they resume their climbing. That was pretty harsh. Yeah. The gravity of their situation there's a few moments where you see stuff like that and you're like holy shit these guys are fucked uh, exactly yeah well as they make it further north they find that one of the seats from the plane is right there in front of them in the snow they it takes all three of them to flip it over because it's extremely heavy and that is where they find one of the victims still strapped in they end up grabbing his wallet and a necklace and they find more of the seats and more of the victims and because that's such a cheery happy and wonderful thing it is also our next clip what are you doing taking his wallet whatever he has for his mother hey there's more over here this counts for those that are still missing altogether three my feet are starting to freeze again we should go back you want to try something why does it smell so bad even after you clean it it's the infection i'll clean it again tonight don't look so downhearted, Roberto. Take a lesson from Alberto. Nothing stops him. I have abandoned the Church of Rome in favor of Utopia. Good for you, Alberto. And for my part, my name is Federico Eranda, and I will return. Well, that's, uh, that's Federico. It's gangrene, I think. I know Alberto does. Canessa! Canessa! Hey, look at this! Look at this! Watch out! Man, they're flying! Watch out! They didn't die, Roberto. Anything is possible. There's a piece of the wing, so the tail must be up there somewhere. Here's the plan I propose. We pick a team to go after the tail. Me too. We feed the team the biggest rations, give them the warmest clothes, and then in, I don't know, a week, we go up there, we find the tail, get the batteries, bring them back, crank up the transmitter. Gets cold up there. I couldn't do it again. Yeah, me neither. I need more money. Wish we could have a fire every night that somebody would go for pizza. I'll pay if you go. No, no, I insist. I'll pay and you go. I feel that God has taken care of us. Don't you feel it? A sense of fate? I feel a sense of fate. I, I wanted you all to know, if I die, you have my permission. You can eat me. 
if anybody could hear this. <laughs> Sit down, Antonio. Coche, it's too bad you didn't play the cello. Javier. What? I've decided something. What's that sweet? I want to have another baby. This experience is just... It's made me feel this miracle of life so deeply. It's not that, my dear. It's just that you're not eating. And if you don't eat, how will you live to have another baby? You're right. You're right. I'll eat some. I'll do it. I'll eat tomorrow. God bless you. Well, that was really life affirming to hear that she's so happy to be alive that she's decided when they get out of this, they're going to have a baby. Yeah, it's so upbeat. That's super happy. And she realizes she has to be a cannibal in order to have that child. And it's a goal. So she's going to definitely do that in the morning. Mom, dad. Yeah. Why is my name cannibal? During the clip, we actually did hear the sled riding back down the mountain because you got to have some joy in life when you're fucking miserable and eating your best friends to survive. And I thought that is the enjoyable part. Yeah, maybe for some of us. <laughs> um, two of the men in in the hammocks have also gotten gangrene. We heard that during the clip and they're pretty much done for because unless you amputate, which given their certain situation, they don't have antibiotics. So even amputation is over with. So they're letting them die a slow, painful death. Yep. Night bitches. Yeah. And they're probably going to die. They're, they're definitely going to die. In fact, we pretty much see them die. They die. That. They're burning money and a guitar to keep warm, as we heard earlier when they're talking over the fire. I don't know. Stay warm or have cool jams. <laughs> it only had one string anyway, if you remember from earlier. Oh, that's right. That's right. Never mind. And while he could play Miserloo, that's pretty much all he had. <laughs> Maybe Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, but I would much rather stay warm than keep yeah. an acoustic guitar Yeah, you going. can't have any cool jams. But I thought it was really funny when the wine guy said, it's too bad you didn't play the cello so they would have more wood to burn. Yeah, right. After this, an avalanche begins tumbling down the mountain and launches the luggage forward and everyone else, basically burying everyone and filling the entire cabin of the plane that's left over in the wreckage with snow and burying the group completely in snow and beating the ever-loving piss out of them with the luggage at the same time and it fades to black then it fades in from black and one of the characters lights up the Zippo and begins trying to dig themselves out and make it so that the buried can at least get some breath. They start trying to dig out everybody. There's a couple of scenes where you see somebody just dig out somebody else's face and then move on to the next person Yeah, because they're like, okay, you can breathe, you're good. You yeah. <laughs> Figure it out on we'll your own. worry about this. this later. Yeah. Uh, this avalanche was fucking soul crushing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Particularly because Antonio has died, who was their leader. He died in the avalanche. It was pretty much right away that it's revealed. And so has Ileana. Um, I'm saying Ileana because that's the actress. That was the woman who just said he wanted to have a baby. She's looking forward to living and she will fully commit to eating human flesh in order to make this happen because she's just so grateful to be alive. Then she dies in the avalanche. Mountain had different plans. Yeah. Mountain did not want you to have more babies. So glad that they did all those prayers because certainly it's helped them through this. God, Man, jeez. <laughs> Just saying. You got some anger. Yeah. So Nando has survived. He was able to be dug out, but eight in total have died from this avalanche. Holy shit. That's pretty horrific. They dig their way out in the morning and they find that there is a giant goddamn motherfucking blizzard on top of the avalanche. They're being buried even further. Man, Mother Nature just hates you motherfuckers. <laughs> They're fucked. Well, it turns out that even though all this dark stuff is happening, it's Raphael's birthday. So they give him a 
snowball and a cigarette as a birthday cake? They give him uh, an extra amount of human flesh. Or no, he gets he gets a snowball. Yeah, and then um, a cigarette and it to be a birthday cake because that's the best they can do. And they all sing him happy birthday. They wish him a happy birthday. And then he smokes a cigarette. And the blizzard is still happening. They're still extremely fucked. But today it turns out, as the religious nut has said, is his birthday. So they celebrate his birthday. Then that night another avalanche is happening and it's going down hardcore but even the agnostic caves in his fear and begins praying and miraculously they are saved. Fuck off movie. They were already buried so the rest of the avalanche went over top of them. Uh-huh. Has nothing to do with the prayer. This is horse shit. We know it. Your God's not real. Stop pushing your Christian agenda. Fuck you, you movie. Are you okay? I'm fine. Alright. As they sleep the sun finally rises. The storm has finally passed and they can see daylight and they all climb out and they see Carlita, the religious nut, sitting on top of luggage on the outside of the plane. He was the first one to get out and he declares that today is his father's birthday and I don't know what that has to do with anything other than they're just trying to find something else to look forward to to live for and religion and prayer is obviously not working anymore so he's distracting everybody with birthdays because, you know, what are you going to do? We then see them digging out the plane and dragging out the dead from the avalanche so I don't know how many days they were stuck inside but the people that died in the avalanche they were probably carving them up and eating them in the plane oh of course until they could dig themselves back out yeah and then they drag them out that's horrific yeah it is really bad <laughs> yeah one of the group is apparently losing his spirit let's just put it that way um he just gives up and it's just kind of like laying there the two men with the leg injuries and gangrene the other one that has the broken leg and also has gangrene states that he is close to god and Frederico announces that lamberto has died shortly after that that night they dissolve to day 50 and in my notes I wrote holy fuck 50 days 50 days later Jesus Christ 50 fucking days they are almost all completely dug out and it appears that they have been prepping for some type of a hike out of that place once again shockingly Frederico is alive and kicking but not with the leg that slashed no that leg's not being kicked Javier stopped eating for whatever reason and Nando goes at him for forgetting his children because he gave up because his wife died and he says I lost my wife so I don't have my will to live and then he tells him you have your children to live for so you better eat and I think that kind of brings him out of it Javier kind of gets it back to it and ends up surviving even further by eating Nando gives Eduardo a child's red shoe he has a set of them and tells him that when the shoes are a pair again they will be going home that he's going to save them that this is going to be a way for him to know they're going to be saved because the shoes will become a pair this is the guy who lost hope he, he basically yeah. gave up and i think this is just something to give him something to cling to literally yeah for to work for yeah something to look at and kind of hang some hope on with that the trio wanders off and hikes to find the tail of the plane as the others attempt to repair the radio though none of them know fuck all of about electronics they essentially assign a guy who once hooked up his cousin's stereo using a manual <laughs> they're fucked yeah i mean come on that's good MacGyver that shit. We then see that the hikers find the plane's tail and some chocolate and some other stuff, and that actually leads to some actual jovial moments in our next clip. Clean underwear! Oh, comic book, I haven't read! Toothpaste! Delicious! (laughs) Pretty good story. Maybe we should just keep walking tomorrow. What are you talking about? We found the batteries. Bring them back, transmit SOS. That's it. Just 
unbelievable that all the time the ultimate three-hour walk. Maybe we should just keep walking to Chile. What the hell are you talking about? You're talking shit. We don't have the equipment to climb these mountains. We would die. No, we bring the batteries back and, and we transmit SOS. That's it. Well, that isn't going to work, is it? I, I don't know. Maybe we should just keep walking. Oh, look, well, I'm not throwing my life away walking into those mountains. It's a stupid... All right, um, this is what we'll do. We'll get the radio and we'll bring it back up here. We don't know how to hook up a radio. We'll bring Roy. I don't want to go. Well, we don't know anything about radios. I don't know anything either. All these wires, I don't know what they're for. I just help my cousins with their stereo. We had a booklet. You're going. You take it. You're smarter than me. I don't want to go up in the snow. I don't want to go. How much further is it? We've been walking a long time. I don't have any strength, you know? I feel sick. I'm weak. We should shut up. This was your idea. Yeah, it'll be dark soon. I'm gonna wrap this stuff around my legs. I wanna be warm tonight. God damn it! That was you! Why don't you two give that up? Huh? I'll make a fire. Tin tin. Yeah. Let's make a fire. This stuff worked good. I feel snug as a bug. What do you think we should do? Fix the radio. Yeah, but if we can't fix the radio... I don't think it's going to work. But when it does work, Roy, it won't be because of you. I never said I could fix it, but if it doesn't work, what do you think we should do? Huh, Tintin? Well, I don't know. Whatever you two decide, Mr. Switzerland. Well, I think that if the radio doesn't work, what we should do... Look, I'm not climbing those mountains. Yeah, well, then I'll go without you. You'll die. You'll freeze to death. No, I won't. Not if we make a sleeping bag out of this stuff. There's enough stuff here to make a bag. Nando. Nando. Look at this. Look. Oh, wow. Look at that cake. Are we going the right way? I think so. Just want to point out that I think that Roy is pretty much how you would react in this situation. Yeah. But it would be like the first five minutes. It'd be like before we get on the plane. You'd be like, I'm cold. I don't want to walk. I don't want to do this. Sunday's my birthday and I don't want to spend it in a mental hospital. Just leave me here to die. <laughs> Just go. It's like, Matt, it's five feet. I know I can't make it. Matt, it's literally June. It's 75 degrees I'm out. I'm cold. <laughs> and, and I'm asking you to please walk to your front door and open it up for me. No. <laughs> Just leave me here to die. Leave me here to die. Matt, I have pizza. I don't want to get up. I don't want pizza. <laughs> Alright, so after this, they try to walk back. Their radio man gives up hope and basically falls down and says he's going to die. Just leave him there. But Nando, being a badass, and I just want to point out that I never thought I'd say that about any character that fucking Ethan Hawke ever plays. True. <laughs> yeah. He will not listen to him and forces him to his feet. He makes him get up and walk, and then when that doesn't work, we then see him carrying him through the fucking blizzard back to the plane, just in time to get them in and keep them from freezing and they're back into the main cargo hold and they announce that Frederico has died because he walks in, looks right at Frederico and says he has died. That was the man who had the slash in the leg. Yes. Gangrene finally got him. And he collapses right after he notices that and says it and no one else paid attention apparently or just didn't notice because Frederico was quiet. Then we see that it is day 61 that they have made a mark in the snow like a big X and completely dug out the plane and all of the area around the snow they have marked with this dark brown stuff surrounding the plane. I don't know if that's their filth or whatever it is, but it looks like filth-laden snow. But it makes sense if you think about it that they would mark the snow in some way to make it stand out to where it would be a different shade than the rest of the snow to go with the X of the plane. They're trying to be noticed if anybody flies overhead is what I'm guessing. It looks as though many of the men are starting to lose their minds. Most of them are given up and they're sickly and dying because, let's face it, you're not meant to be a fucking cannibal in a abandoned plane on a mountain for long. No. That 
that's not going to happen. We then notice that Raphael has died and that the sleeping bag is finally prepared and more men begin the journey to venture further out in search of rescue. They've gotten to the point now where they realize that the only way that they're going to get saved is by the strongest of them that still have some energy and have been eating the most are going to transverse the mountains with a homemade sleeping bag that fits three people in order to survive the night's that they don't freeze to death. Yeah. That's not bleak. No, not at all. Everything's fine. We then see that the religious nut declares that he had a dream and that they would be successful as it was a premonition, not just an ordinary dream. So now instead of praying to God, God is apparently giving him visions. Okay, whatever. Let him live. It's bleak, man. And you're even more of a negative Nancy. We then see a hiking montage as the men are working their way through the mountains and they're journeying to find help. Because you're the best around. No, it's not that kind of montage. (laughs) They set up camp and sleep and the following morning they almost fall off of the cliff before cresting a peak and finding nothing. They're looking around, nothing. Whole lot of nothing. One of the men kind of loses his shit, ends up sliding all the way to the edge of a rock and almost falling off the side. But once again, Nando becomes a superhero badass guy. Again, never thought I would say that about Ethan Hawke. Exactly. He has to be lowered by the medical student in an attempt to rescue the man who slid off the side of the rock, which is successful. So they are now as okay as they possibly can be because they're pulled up on the rock and they get their breath caught up. Everything's fine now. Yeah, as close as they can. They sleep once again in the sleeping bag, and the next day is our next clip. You ready, Roberto? You see that line? That's a road. Can't see anything. You see it completely. Well, I see a line. I couldn't say if it was a road. I think we should go back. Go back? Yeah. This mountain's too high. And what are we gonna do if we go back? Go to the road. It might be a road, it might not. Look, I have the best eyes. That's a road. I'm going back. I'm going on. What are you going to do, Tintin? I don't know. All right, how about this? We'll leave our stuff here with you. We'll climb to the top and see what we see. You wait for us, Roberto? All right, then I'm going back. The green trees, hills. Tintin! Go back and get Knessa. Tell him it's going to be all right. Tell him to come up and see for himself. Knessa, Knessa. Douglas, Douglas at the top. Did you get there? No, no. But he says it's marvelous. I have to rest. Nanda? Nothing but mountains. We've had it. We've completely had it. No, we haven't. On two of these mountains somewhere, there's a green valley. See these mountains over here? There's no snow on them. These mountains must be 50 miles away. You think I can walk 50 miles? If we have to, we will. I can't. Yes, you can. I can't. I'm not as strong as you. You know what it is that we've lived this long the way we have? 70 days that we climbed this mountain. You know what it is? It's impossible. It's impossible, and we did it. I'm proud to be a man on a day like this. Alive. That I live to see it. And see it in such a place. Take it in. I love you, man. Look. It's magnificent. It's God. And it'll carry us over every stone, I swear. I swear it to you. All right. We'll get Tintin. We're going to send him back down to the plane. We'll take his extra food. You see? You see where the sun's going to set? That way's west. And to the west are the green valleys of Chile. We're going to die, you know. Maybe. But if we die, we're going to die walking. Once again, cannot believe that fucking Ethan Hawke is the badass of the film. 
Yeah, he said the name of the movie that we're watching. Yeah, he did. And he's also basically the one that has the drive to survive enough and save everyone else. Yep. And after this, we see once again another flyover sort of montage, and we see the pair walking after they send the third man, Tintin, back to the group and take his extra food. They begin the journey, and they're trying to find help and get rescue for everyone else. We get a sense of time passing as we see valleys and a river and the pair trotting towards a pond and then we are back at the crash site with the plane the survivors awake to the sound of helicopters coming to rescue them they don't quite believe it but they come out and see that there is helicopters in fact hovering over top of them on the mountain and we see that Nando is in a helicopter and leans out to sort of hold out the red shoe at the one guy who gave up we don't know any of these people keep going but the red shoes come out my thought is after being in a plane crash why the fuck would you get in a helicopter and go back up that mountain. Right. I'd be like, this is where they are. See you later. Bye. At that point, I think he's like, we're going to survive no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads us to our final clip. And so we were saved. Nando and Canessa breached the Andes and we were saved. Later, a group went back and buried the bodies. They built a rough stone altar by the grave and over it they placed an iron cross. There's nothing more I can tell you. We were brought together by a grand experience. Okay, I don't see what's so grand about that experience. None of that was grand. No. What the fuck? They all survived. They all realized what they were capable of to survive, so that I can but see. But no, it's, it's... Fuck them. Not grand. We get an ending blurb stating that the film is dedicated to the 29 people who died on the mountain and the 16 people who survived. Holy fuck, that's not good numbers. No, that was it wasn't such a grand adventure for 29 other people. No, it was horrible. But they're all gone except for the ones that made it down the mountain alive, the 16 that survived, who did in fact go back and bury their dead, which was pretty amazing that they did that. And we will now roll credits. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, woo. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't think I need to justify my fear of crashing in a plane. No, not anymore. <laughs> this proves my I point. I think you've given that fear to some people now listen to this show. I will say this. There are other plane crashes that uh, were much worse in film and affected me even more. Yeah. Um, just seeing the trailer to the one flight where uh, Denzel Washington is the pilot who later gets discredited and they Dude. say he's drunk, where he flips the plane upside down to you land should, it on the, should, the roof. You should YouTube the scene, the crash scene. <laughs> it will, I've seen it. Yeah. It will. That's all the trailer was, was the it, crash. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no, no. It's. There's even more to it. Yeah. And it will yeah. pucker your fucking asshole, my friend. I didn't pick that one because I thought it was too new and Alive was the one that more people knew about. Yeah. And it fit a lot more of the mold. There's another one too that's pretty close, but I don't, I mean, the actual story behind it goes a little bit more hinky to me and that was the Liam Neeson movie, The Grey, where he ends up having to fight wolves after oh, a plane yeah. crash in Alaska. I thought maybe you're going to go with Airplane. <laughs> <laughs> that plane doesn't crash though. No, it doesn't. But I mean, you know, it yeah. has problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally but trying to overcome that fear i've gotten much much better i don't white knuckle it anymore but there's a few things that happen in the movie during the plane crash that i definitely catch myself doing whenever there's turbulence oh yeah like pulling the buckle down ridiculously tight thinking that will save your life exactly um i also will if there's like nobody in the seat next to me i will grab a hold of the buckle and wrap my arm around it like i'm indiana jones on the bridge oh really <laughs> if i have like the seat next to me free the longer part of the strap on the seat next to me i'm literally wrapping around my wrist and holding on to it like I'm Indiana Jones. All that's going to do is tear 
tear your arm off and cut you in half. I know. I don't care. <laughs> it makes me feel better for that brief for moment. That brief moment that I have that wrapped around there. My arm's gone. And if I don't have that, if that's not open and that's not free, then I get both hands. <laughs> and you're grabbing some guy's knee who's sitting next no, to you. <laughs> I get. I, this is what I do: is I have one hand constantly tightening the belt, yeah. and then the other free hand that's not busy tightening the belt has got a hold of the armrest on a fucking death grip. Oh yeah, yeah, like hardcore death grip. <laughs> and I'm staring out the side of the plane because I'm always sitting on the fucking window for some reason. That's really ridiculous. Because if I'm not looking at the wing, it's gonna fall off. Yeah, since you're 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 willing it on there. <laughs> by the sheer force of my hatred for being on a plane alone, I am willing it to stay in place. You stick it on. Yeah, and I'm just staring at it. if it does it. break off, you're the only one who can go out the window, grab hold, and keep it together. And hopefully I'll surf that like the Silver Surfer all <laughs> yeah. the way down. <laughs> That's not going to happen. No, no you, you are dead. The worst <laughs> ever on a plane that I've had it was when we came back from uh, Disney World, the family and I, and landing in Minnesota and the landing was maybe one of the worst landings I'd ever been a part of. I was at the point where it was, it was a very real conversation I was having with God. <laughs> All the while, my son, who's an aisle behind me, but on the other side of the plane, but an aisle behind me, so he could see me. And he goes, Hey, Dad, Dad, you having problems with the landing? Huh? You all right up there? You having problems? I'm like, fucking little shit. He's still young and he doesn't realize he's going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thinks everything's going to always end up being all right. And finally, my wife had to go, Will you just quiet down, please? <laughs> Everything's coming up aces. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I think he's making himself feel better to talk shit to the old man. Probably. Yeah. It's obvious why the plane crash stuff happens, you yeah. know, for the fear and everything and, and why it is such a, an irrational fear for me. I am getting better. Every little pocket of turbulence doesn't send me around the bend anymore. Yeah. What I do is, if I start to be like, what the fuck was that? I look around and if none of the other passengers are freaked out, I calm down. Yeah, there you go. One of the times... I'll do that too. I'll look around uh -huh. and especially I'll look for guys in suits or, or and it doesn't have to be full suits frequent like flyers tires. yeah but I'm talking about business casual looking dudes yeah because you know those are frequent flyers yeah because you look around if you see anybody who's like in shorts and a t-shirt yeah typically that's for somebody going on vacation this may be their first flight right but you look for the guy who's in slacks and a butt up shirt and maybe has a sport coat yeah because you know he's got a meeting to go to probably right after this or yeah. he came for work frequent flyer and if he's just sitting there like either a at his laptop or b like looking at a file and the plane shakes and i look at him and he doesn't look up or do anything i go all right this is fine we're fine yeah now for me it's look at the people around me look at everyone see how they react if no one even thinks anything about it but i've gotten to the point now where unless it's an air pocket drop where you actually feel that stinking feeling uh-huh even just the regular shaking turbulence unless it's like really steady like crazy yeah doesn't freak me out anymore i've gotten much better see we can never be in a flight with one another because you look to be if we start getting turbulence and I'm going to be like this what 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 like shaking my head side to side you'll be like shit <laughs> when I fly with my wife I am perfectly fine yeah because unless she gets freaked out I don't get freaked out and hopefully she, like no one ever tries to book us to do this show like cross country we just have to go on the load transatlantic <laughs> transatlantic flight yeah. we're going to be like fuck <laughs> the only two people who can calm us down can't come with <laughs> yeah 
I think I'm getting better at flying alone too. I'm doing okay. The main thing that kind of cured me, and I'll tell this story because it's actually funny and the and that didn't really cure me, but helped me get over the fear, right? Um, flying home from visiting my family in a really bad thunderstorm, really bad. Like you can see like where it looks like fire across the, you know how like when the lightning bolts strike and you're in the sky, it looks almost like fire hitting across the, the clouds. I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen that. Yeah. Well, that was happening. The plane didn't get struck or anything like that that I can recall. Mm-hmm. But there was a guy sitting next to me who was a frequent flyer who was also a pilot. And he was like the guy that had like a shitload of free drink tickets on Southwest. Like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. If he can get Southwest drink tickets. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a frequent flyer. Yeah, dude. exactly. Yeah. Well, he's handing them out to the stewardess like nothing. And he's mm-hmm. got like these vodka tonics and he's just throwing them back. Yeah. Guy's getting lit. He's got a ride once he gets back to where he's going when we're getting back to Omaha. He's yeah. good. And he's talking to me the whole time and telling me about the stuff because I told him I'm a white knuckle flyer. So I apologize if you see me reaching for the seatbelt next to you. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> it's, listen, it's if I grab us. your hand and ask you to hold me, I'm sorry now. <laughs> I'm not that bad. No, I'm, no, just, I'm not. Get around. So we're flying back and we're going through this thunderstorm and it's just some of the worst turbulence ever. The guy's sitting there with his drink while the plane's doing all the air pocket drops and I'm like, I'm literally William Shatner in it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got my hand wrapped up. I'm holding on to the other thing. The guy's got his vodka tonic and it's splashing everywhere. Do you have a sleeping pill? He, he's, it's like splashing it's, everywhere with like every yeah. pocket that we hit. And he just looks at me and he goes, you know, this is some of the worst turbulence I've ever been in in my life <laughs> with this big fucking evil clown grin on his face. <laughs> and he just takes a big slurp from his gin and tonic yeah. and we hit an air pocket as he goes to do it. Uh, all over him. Uh, all over him. That shows you, man. He's not grinning anymore. He's pissed and he can't get a towel because the stewardesses are even strapped yeah. down at this point. And I just kind of look at him when that <laughs> happens. And I'm like, if I die, this is the last thing that I get to see. <laughs> and now when I get freaked it's out, so bad. Yeah. Now when I get freaked out, I think about the, the smile on that guy's face and it getting wiped away where he's like trying yeah. to freak me out even more. I mean, what a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dick move. This is some of the worst turbulence I've ever been in. Yeah. And I fly. Yeah. <laughs> he's a pilot. So there you go. <laughs> but he deserved it. Okay. Alcoholic pilot. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, no shit. Did they come any other way? No. Oh, God. <laughs> and no one will fly. <laughs> One of the things that kind of helped me deal with this too is uh, one of my biggest heroes, also a white knuckle flyer, flies all the goddamn time and still admits to being terrified about it all the time. Rollins? Yeah. Yeah. Does an entire routine about it, like uh-huh. constantly, where it's the mode of travel he hates the most, but he has to do it because it gets him there faster. Yeah. And he talks about it. And once I heard him talking about it, I'm like, all right, so this is definitely a phobia because he's probably the most rational, thought, oh, yeah. thoughtful person. Exactly. And he's terrified to fly. Uh huh. <laughs> So this this shit is real. This is not this is not this ain't a joke. <laughs> this ain't no fooling around. No. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take another break. All right. We'll play one more promo for a podcast. And when we come back, we'll have a little bit of music and we will just close out this fucking show. Yeah. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our cues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters Podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television. Maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com.
Yeah. Dude. What? What's the name of this song? Uh, the song's called Alive. <laughs> well, what the fuck, man? Why couldn't you play Alive by Pearl Jam? Because this is the Necromantics and they don't stuck. Whoa. What? Dude. What? Dude. Whoa. What? Pearl Jam? Yeah. You're really going to defend Pearl Jam? I, I'm just saying a lot of people really like Pearl Jam. Like, rabidly, my friend. Rabidly like Pearl Jam? Yeah. I'm not a fan. Wow. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm not backing away from you for any other purpose than... Because uh, you're afraid of Pearl Jam fans? Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck Pearl Jam. Who oh, gives a shit? Jesus. Direct all hate mail to Court Psyop. <laughs> yeah, which you can actually reach me at cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com. Or you can tell Matt that, no, Pearl Jam's not a thing anymore. No one ever really gave a fuck. They're just some corporate bullshit that got put together by Sub Pop to pretend to be grunge when everything else was already a fake movement that Sub Pop put together. It's all horseshit, and they're the forefront of the biggest pile of horseshit out there. Okay, I've just said, holy cow, man. Send I that to Matt Psyop, psyopmatt <laughs> at gmail.com. You, you get a lot of things going on. Oh, I got some hate, baby. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you can find us on Legion Podcast. That's legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. Now, everyone else at Legion would like to apologize for my bellicosity towards grunge and the fact that it was manufactured music. <laughs> it was. Okay, okay. They will not condone my hatred for grunge, nor will they support it, <laughs> unless you guys really want to, in which case you can reach me at cinemasyopscard at gmail.com. <laughs> Join our Facebook group and Cinema Psyops, where you can make your alternative photography telling me that Pearl Gem's really not as horrible as I'd like to say they are. Yeah. But they are. There might be some dirty memes coming for you. <laughs> dirty memes done dirty, dirt meme. <laughs> done dirt meme. Dirt you, you can find us on Facebook. I'm Court Psyops. You can find Matt on Facebook. He is Matt Psyop. If you found the plank that says brutal, you found the coward that's too afraid to show his own face. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> yeah, with what I've, they do to us. I've, I've said a lot yeah. of shit on this show, too. <laughs> you can twit a couple of tweets to a couple of twats. I'm at Court underscore Psyop, and he is at Psyop Matt. Send us some photos of your wreckage. Oh, man, that's so open to interpretation. Survival instinct? We're not telling you to send us pictures of your cannibalism, but... Send us pictures of your cannibalism. Yeah, we're kind of telling you to send us pictures of your cannibalism. Well, we have to close out the show, and we kind of ran out of music. Oh, wait, I have one more that's very, very fitting. Oh. Ah. This is from GBH, and it is called Christianized Cannibals. Nice. Kick the fuck out of this week, folks, and make it your bitch.
spend as much time in a nut house. I'm sorry, a santorium. <laughs> Sanatorium. Sanatorium. <laughs> Santorium. Footage. <laughs> Footage. Santorium sounds like that stuff that's left over after anal sex. Oh, God. <laughs> that frothy mix of lube and, and oh. feces. Oh, that's Santorum, which was named after Rick Santorum for being so homophobic. Oh. Did you know that? No. Yeah. That doesn't matter, though. We're talking about this movie. Oh, it, well, it matters because he had to say it. Now it's there. What? The words <laughs> frothy mix of, of lube and, and yeah. feces? God. You don't like that? You don't like to think about that? <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> that's why they named it after Santorum. Uh, the funniest part is the word frothy. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you got to say frothy. Oh. Of course, it would be frothy, too, if you think about it. Mix a frothy, hot ejaculate feces. And lube. And lube. Yeah. Can we stop talking about it now and get back to the movie? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think you are. <laughs> you just can't stop picturing it, right? <laughs> I'm leaving all of this into an outtake. <laughs> Jesus, you're turning purple, dude. <laughs> you were turning purple. <laughs> Do we need to pause it so you can catch your breath? I'm fine. You sure? I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> All right, you're you're getting your natural color back now. That okay. So we're talking about the movie Alive, right? Yeah, we're like three sentences in. Yay! Is it still a pigskin if it's rugby? What do you call it? I, I don't know. The rugby ball? Let's just call it a quaffle. A, a we, quaffle. We know, we, know, we know fuck all about rugby. Throw the quaffle around. A lot of our Australian listeners are probably like, what the fuck's a quaffle? It's from Harry Potter. I know. It's the weird, oddly shaped, leather-bound ball that they toss around there. Is that what they call it? A quaffle? That's what it's called, is a quaffle. Is so it a quaffle? Yeah. You just want to keep saying that word. I, I didn't know if it was a quaffle. I thought it was something else, but I, I'll go with what you're saying. I don't have Harry Potter memory. That was a bludger. No, that's the... God damn it. There's three different types of balls. Do you really want to go through this? No, let's, let's keep no, going. No, we're, we're fucking doing it. We're, we're fucking doing, doing this now. now. All right. There's the golden snitch. The little tiny yeah, ball that flies everywhere. snitch, all right. Yeah, of course you know that. Yeah, well, yeah, it's the yeah. The, the quaffle's thing. the main leather ball that they have to toss through the rings. Oh, okay, you're right. The bludger's the one that moves around. And they right. hit each other. Quaffle. And then the beaters hit the bludgers yeah. to try and hit the people with the quaffle or yes. the, the getting the golden snitch. And yeah. Yeah, all right. There you go. That's the only sports ball I know fuck all about. It's, uh, it's Quidditch. It's Quidditch. A fake wizard sport from a fucking movie series. Do you know some people actually play Quidditch? Uh, eat, not like they do in movies. No, but they run around with brooms. <laughs> I don't doubt that. You know what? I judge those people less than I do actual sports ball players. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're using their imagination. <laughs> I'm falling down a spiral Destination unknown cross messenger all alone, can't get no connection, can't get through, where are you? Well, the night is heavy on his guilty mind, this far from the borderline. When the hitman comes, he knows damn well he has been cheated.
Cannibal! Mix a frothy, hot ejaculate feces. When the time comes for cannibalism, I'm going to be hesitant. I'm going to have to eat people now. I can get all the spanking I want. Come on, dude. If I wanted spanked right now, I could get spanked.